Does your vision for business match what you see happening on a daily basis? Welcome to Jim White's Circle of Success, where Jim White brings it all together. For over 30 years, Jim White has worked with organizations and individuals worldwide to help develop and implement excellence. You'll get the inside story on how to create innovative leaders from one corner of your company to the other. Get everyone on your team contributing to the bottom line. Keep building revenue even when the economy and your customers have flatlined. And more. Jim White's Circle of Success Radio covers it all, from communication to contract negotiation, from personal fulfillment to revving up cash flow. It's not about theories. It's about showing you what works and how to make it work for you. And now, here's your host, Jim White. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Jim White, and we're coming to you live from Carmel, California, on September 29, 2011, which happens to be my birthday. So, happy birthday to me. Hope everybody's doing great today. This is a uh, primetime show. Actually, we're going to be moving to three shows a week. So thanks to you and our audience that uh, we, that's uh, making a request, and we are going to do our best to honor that. We have a very exciting show for you today. Um, but before we get into some of the nuts and bolts of, of, of the show, it's just frame the show what I view, Jim White's view, uh, some of the most important things that uh, is facing us in the United States. And rebuilding America's economic foundation is one of those most important things, most important missions we face in the 21st century. There is no doubt about that in my mind. Our parents and grandparents built America into the world's leading economic superpower. We have a responsibility to our own children and grandchildren to strengthen, not not squander that inheritance, and to pass on to them a country whose best days lie ahead. We live in turbulent, complicated, and a competitive world. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. These worst recession, and I know we there's not a channel we can turn on or a radio station that we can tune into. It's not singing the same song, so bear with me. But it's the worst, worst, worst recession we've seen in 80 years. 80 years. It's cost us trillions of dollars in wealth and drove millions of Americans out of their jobs and their homes. Even more, it called into question, that's what I find very interesting, into question our beliefs in our system and our leaders within the United States and the faith and the way to go forward. We're coming into a uh, presidential uh, election cycle in 2012, and I will go ahead and get this out of the way now. It absolutely sets me free. I am mad. I don't know about you, but I am mad. I want to give you a website if you're not familiar with this website. Uh, if you're on your com uh, computer now, go ahead and pull it up. It's called usdebtclock.org. Pull that up, 
and you're going to, if you keep that in front of you, I have it running on my computer in the studio constantly. I am seeing it ticking away at a $14 trillion trillion deficit. Every taxpayer in the United States has a debt liability of over $131,000. Every citizen in the United States Eleven thousand four hundred. Excuse me. Eleven thousand six hundred and seven hundred sixty-nine dollars. I get it right. Eleven thousand seven hundred interest only payment due per citizen for two thousand and eleven on our debt alone. Now that should make you mad. It should make you mad. Our infrastructure and the good policy making. The good policy making. That built it is a key reason America became an economic superpower. But many of the great decisions which put us on this trajectory are now over a half a century old. Half a century old. In the last decade, our global economic competitors have led the way in planning and building the transportation networks of the 21st century, hands down. They've led the way. Countries around the world have not only started spending more than the United States does today, but they made those financial commitments of both public and private dollars. That is the key. For your regular uh, regular show listeners, you've heard me talk about in the past shows about a, a 3P program, which uh, we're going to be getting to in the next two to three weeks, a public-private partnership. It's absolutely critical that we bring this to the forefront, having the public and the private involved in our infrastructure development. Okay? Now, it is critical, critical that we do that and equip the both the public and the private with 21st uh, 21st century strategies that will allow us to make huge strides in economic growth growth over the next 20 25 years if you'll see uh, on the show page we talk about we we're going to talk about the AT&T and T-Mobile merger and for our local listeners, we're going to have a small segment uh, only for uh, just to, to bring to light uh, of some of the regulation and, and some of the things that's absolutely killing infrastructure development is the planning and uh, the amount of time that it takes to get anything done. So we're going to talk briefly uh, about a proposed uh, cell tower. Uh, in Carmel Valley, uh, this is right in our, my backyard in Carmel Valley, California. Uh, my understanding, and if I am wrong in this understanding, uh, I'd appreciate to uh, get on the phone, call 619-768-7298 and correct me. I might add, we have issued invitations to uh, AT&T representatives. Uh, we've issued uh, invitations to... Uh, Verizon and Sprint and uh, uh, citizens of uh, Carmel Valley, uh, businesses of Carmel Valley. We have uh, made an attempt to talk to Monterey County Planning Commission, and I will say that uh, they've probably been the most responsive 
and responding to our request, even though we've yet to be able to talk live, but they're giving us some information. And simply what we wanted to know is why does it take two years, if in fact it's been two years, to be able to get a, I'm going to use the word simple, for cell tower put in place uh, in, in order to make better coverage. I don't know where that makes sense or not. I don't even know if we need it. What do you think? But one thing that we know for sure, we know that past history, and we do need to look at history, and we need to look at history of innovation. Now, the this idea of, of building and maintaining a successful economy with infrastructure at the center of federal policy has been with us since the moment we first became Americans. It's been with us since day one. The visionary authors of the Constitution were also the architects of our prosperity. And we're, we're going to be doing a series on the Constitution in, in the coming weeks as well, so stay tuned for that. Now, they design a federal system limited enough to protect our liberties as individuals, but expansive enough for a central government that could plan, that could invest, and build for a more productive economic future than we that we could enjoy in common by acting together. That's what the the, the authors of the Constitution were able to do. Our tiny country emerged from the Revolutionary War, and we were in debt, just like today. Today is $14 trillion. If you can see the clock, if you're viewing this, you see the clock behind me, it's running. Right now, it's $14 trillion in debt. But after the Revolutionary War, uh, we came out of that, and, and, and we, were, we were in debt with no money. No money besides import duties. Uh, to fund our operation. So what did the government do? The government invested in a system of beacons and buoys and lighthouses on the eastern seaboard and a fleet of ships to intercept smugglers on the eastern seaboard to collect what we were owed, okay, to collect what we were owed. This effort meant that our nation could keep itself afloat financially. That's what we're tempted to do today. That's what we need to do today. That's what you're doing as a family. And we're going to be talking in the last segment of the hour, we're going to be talking about some recent numbers on poverty and uh, things of this nature. Oh, I was reading those numbers this afternoon. Boy, you're talking about hopping mad. I mean, I'm absolutely mad that we have such numbers in the United States. And also, I'll go ahead and throw this in at, at the moment, uh, looking at the latest unemployment measures. I, I, don't, I, I got two numbers here that I, that I find from uh, all the research that we do from the federal government. And one term, is, it says official unemployment, 13 million, right? Then the next, next line, it says actual, okay? So I don't understand between... Official and actual. And actual is 24 million. Then my research, as I was pulling down on that more, 
It also found that we have over 45 million Americans living on food stamps. Okay? Should make us mad. Okay? Now, should make us mad. At transforming times and moments during the 19th and the 20th centuries. 19th and 20th centuries. Our greatest leaders, now this is important in my mind, preparing for the show, it, it just takes different twists, and, and, and what we attempt to do every time we go on the air is to, one, inspire, educate, strategy, and call to action, and to cover the things that the mainstream media do not. And to be able to be run into the center so you can make informed decisions with no bias whatsoever. Just stating the facts. But what fact is for real. We have $14 trillion in debt. And I can absolutely guarantee you if our major corporations and our families, how can we run in debt? We need cash. But the federal government can do it, right? Now we've got to knock that nonsense off. Okay, we got to knock it off. Our greatest leaders is, is, is a grasp just just how vital it was to you know to build a strong infrastructure, and I'm using infrastructure, um, roads, bridges, water, sewer, electricity, electricity, uh, communication systems, uh, the telephone, and all these type of things are infrastructure that we got to have to continue to uh, grow and maintain prosperity in the United States, okay? We're going to drill down on that just a little bit more. Now, it's also required to protect our national security and, as I said, to promote economic growth so that our wealth and well-being can grow. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about, and any business leader or political leader, if you're not sitting around with your colleagues and with your staff and discussing strategy, strategy to do what? Put people to work, increase revenues, and retain earnings, and to be able to put that money back into the system and not hold on to it. We've got to keep turning it around and keeping a balance between debt and assets. Okay, balance. Now, in the 19th and 20th century, when we were looking at uh, this infrastructure and our leaders at that time, uh, as I said, they, they, they built such a transportation network that drove our economic development and established our leadership in innovation, engineering, manufacturing, design. That's where we started to really grab hold of this uh, can-do attitude in America and the innovation. We are innovators. We are doers. But we seem to kind of got away from that just a little bit. Now, in 1808, uh, President uh, Thomas Jefferson administration uh, released the Gallatin Plan. Now, in this plan, what I find so fascinating, and in previous shows I've, I've discussed this, uh, it was in that plan it was articulating a hundred-year vision for a national transportation system uh, 
and proposing a $20 million, $20 million in 1808, which would be in today's dollars, $2010, uh, about $320 million, okay, program to develop canals and roadways. This visionary blueprint by government officials and industrialists laid the groundwork for the construction of the uh, Erie Canal, Transcontinental Railroad, uh, by improving the waterway capacities and building uh, canals, they created an efficient trade network and expanded our economic reach. Okay, Even as the country was torn apart, torn apart by the Civil War, uh, Abraham Lincoln appreciated the critical, critical importance of unifying the East and the West. And you may be thinking right now, Jim, where are you going with it? This is history. This is fact. We're talking about visionary leaders. We're talking about some of the things that occurred in the 19th and 20th century that actually we're still making decisions on in the 21st century. Okay, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna clarify that. Okay, so uh, Lincoln understood the importance of, of connecting the East and the West by the and coast to coast railroad with the leadership of government and financiers, private industry, America built the world's best railroad system, okay? Now, creating a coast-to-coast network that further unified and fortified the national economy by connecting east and the west. Now, a half a century later, Teddy, uh, Teddy Roosevelt established the Inland Waterway Commission to develop a comprehensive plan for improving America's waterways for commercial traffic. Infrastructure building, orchestrated by his cousin Franklin, brought electricity to the to rural America. Okay? And an ambitious list of projects including bridges and tunnels and airports that employed millions of Americans at the height of the Great Depression, and continuing to serve our country today. A lot of these projects that was built during the Great Depression is still working today. Well, still in place. They're not working because everything's falling apart, right? And we've talked about that in past shows. The infrastructure is crumbling. It's falling apart. We're so far behind. And what it takes in order to keep up with our infrastructure, and if we don't, continue to belly up to the bar and make sure that we, we collectively, all U.S. citizens, are on top constantly of our elected officials. If we're going to put them at that job, and if you want to be a public servant, then when you're elected, go do the job and remember who you work for. You work for the American people. We do not work for you. So make sure that we get in there, you do the job. If you're not up to the job, get out. No questions, get out. Now, I don't know why that's so hard, but it seems to be extremely hard right now as we see currently. Sitting here in the studio, we got uh, all the different news channels going on off, off camera and off air here, That uh, and, and we're kind of monitoring things that's going on. And we did see, wow. All the bickering, all the fighting, and uh, we we, we got to get a handle on that, okay? Uh, 
Now, following World War II, Dwight Eisenhower had a vision to build the world's best highway system, right? Now, easing mobility. Now, we're going to talk about mobility in current terms momentarily. Mobility around the country and open up vast new regions to greater economic opportunity. Now, in 1956, so just fast forward here, 1956, he convinced Congress, he, uh, uh, President Eisenhower, convinced Congress to, uh, to finance that vision. And the interstate highway system was born, forever changing the American landscape and creating what would become an essential element of the definitive American lifestyle. By could put in the roads, we started to be able to get out and, and, and creating these communities around, uh, around, around, around the country, right? Now, Changed, changed the absolute lifestyle, American lifestyle. And it changed it for the next half century. All right? This combination of um, American uh, creativity and uh, innovation and forward-looking policy, which catalyzed private sector innovation and private sector investment. It was a catalyst. Okay? Not only in good times, bad times, war and peace. In days of debt and surplus, what infrastructure development did. It helped our nation build the strongest and most successful economy the world has ever known. But, there's a big but here, but the legacy of even our smartest decisions. And I really want you to want you to hear 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 me on this, okay? The legacy of our even our smartest decisions cannot last forever. It cannot. And we are now left struggling with a transportation network. Transportation network that has not adjusted to the 21st century realities and cannot meet our economic needs going forward. And this is some of the challenges that we have. Now, I want to make a transition back just a few years. Remember I talked about in 1808? Now, I want to make a transition back into uh, the invention of the telephone. And we've all heard these famous words, or if we haven't, you'll, you'll, you'll hear them. Mr. Watson, Mr. Watson, come here. I want you. Remember those words? With these words spoken by the inventor, Alexander Graham Bell, and to his experimental telephone on March 10, 1876, that industry was born in 1876. Industry was born. Now is take a look how that industry started to come together. Well, some of the milestones, <clears throat> we certainly don't have time to hit them all, but I'm going to hit some highlights here because I want to put it in perspective 
And as we tie it back to the comments for what's currently going on in AT&T's proposed merger with T-Mobile. Now, we can spend hours and hours and hours on this subject. Um, there's not a blog or any place that you go that there's not varying opinions. But I just want to lay some framework about innovation and as part of our infrastructure development. So. Remember, 1876 is when uh, Bell spoke those famous words to Watson. Well, in 1885, the American Telephone and Telegraph Company is formed, okay, which was a subsidiary of American Bell Telephone Company, all right? So as we move forward, it's going to give some highlights. I, I want to put a perspective together which hopefully can be considered in this current debate where this merger is a good thing or a bad thing. Now, only thing that I want to share and, and actually place an opinion on it, as long as small business, which accounts for over 97% of all the businesses in the United States, that's what that's what puts people to work. Okay, long as there's room for small businesses to play in here. Okay, and we also have uh, the review by Department of Justice, and you can read every side of the argument right now. And like I said, I'm not about to uh, dig down into the legal ramifications. The only thing that I want to uh, bring to surface and to say, let's start by stopping a little bit, back up, and let's stop, and let's take a look. What do we need to do today? Now, if this particular combination will help create jobs, increase revenue, remain competitive. Why not? Now, I had a guest on the show several weeks ago, uh, Dan Himmick. Uh, Dan's the president of C.C. Myers up in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, huge bridge infrastructure contractor. And Dan and I were talking about uh, the need to raise the gas tax. Remember, boy, we got a lot of emails on that, a lot of phone calls. Uh, but basically, the gas tax has been uh, raised in over 20 years. So during that discussion, Dan brought to my attention, he said, you know, Jim, you know it takes from beginning to end approximately 16 years on a major infrastructure project, 16 years for approvals and processes on average. For the folks that live in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, probably remember two or three years ago in 580 when they had the fire and the bridge came down and they had to put this bridge up. Well, C.C. Meyer uh, was the firm that got the contract. It was like a 14-day deal. Well, they came in. In 14 days, I had this thing up and running. And I said, well, did you do anything different? And I'm talking about as far as regulation and planning and quality and, 
environmental and uh, shortcuts. He said, no, we do the same all the time. So let me see. When we have an emergency, we can come together, but if it's normal course of business, then we get all the different uh, different things involved that slows down uh, progress, makes it more expensive uh, in these projects. And that's what caught my eye when we were doing the research. And like I said, if we're wrong on our time uh, for how long this uh, proposed cell tower has been in the planning stages in Monterey County, uh, please correct us. Uh, you know what, what I see is about two years. So if it takes, on average, two years to get a, approval for a cell tower, and what's a cell tower do? Uh, I mean, do we need it? I don't know. I have that service, and I know my calls are dropped all the time. Well, that's one, but uh, what's it do for the economy? Well, I can't help but think if we got good, because as I said in, in, in the title of the show, wireless, we're a wireless world. So I think businesses will benefit if in, in this iPad world and Android world and all the other things that we have available on our iPhones and all all of them and uh, you know to to the competitors of those products. Uh, uh, I don't mean to leave you out. It's just the things that just jump out to me. Um, and then question as far as health and safety, uh, e-health reports, uh, all the uh, advances that are being made by having the ability to have medical records and having the ability in trauma situations, having the ability to communicate uh, in, in, in real times of crisis and national disaster. And one of the issues, uh, not to pour uh, salt on the wound, but one of the, one of the issues that we had in 9/11 for the first responders into the twin twin towers was uh, the inability to communicate with each other. So there are some changes that have been made there as, as a result of uh, these things. So as we look at the um, uh, the innovation, and like I said, nine years after Bell did his invention. Uh, we had this new company called uh, uh, American Telephone and Telegraph, uh, 1885. And then they continued through, I'm going to hit some highlights here, uh, what, what really big ones. I'm going to 1921. It says uh, AT&T uh, Network reaches its first overseas destination when service uh, begins to Cuba via a deep-sea cable between Key West, Florida, and the Havana. U.S. President Warren Hardy inaugurates service on April 11th and a call to uh, the Cuban president. Uh, the capacity on the line was one call. Right? A call between Havana and New York cost 13.65 cents for the first three minutes. A, a call between Havana and San Francisco was $22.35. Okay, so we've come a long way. Now I'm all about uh, uh, free market. I'm all about uh, right to work. I'm all I'm all for uh, good, healthy competition. Competition is good, uh, but for those folks who are saying this merger is not a good thing, I want you to stop. If it takes two years on average, 
And please, for the folks listening at Monterey County, I don't know where this ride, so please, please correct me. Uh, but I'm gonna, for what I know, it's taken right now, two years on average, still not approved. I think as a hearing uh, approval and planning commission on October 26th, uh, which time we hopefully it's going to be approved because I think it needs to go forward. Um, and we invited the folks as well that uh, for a varying opinion. So you certainly have a right, and everybody's been invited to be heard. And if you don't show up and talk, then you have no right to talk, right? <laughs> no right to complain. So you've been given an opportunity. But my point, if it takes that long, and if T-Mobile has a network that's already in, in place, and by coming together and the two entities can um, uh, make – services uh more available well why reinvent the wheel if that if that works now i realize that i'm given given an over simplistic uh description of it but i think that's some of the things that we need to do is to look at things in a very simple uh straightforward even though i mean i started off at the top of the show acknowledging that we live in a uh, a very competitive complex world and we do but at the same time, I've, I've found over the past 40 years, and you know, I've done over 23 different acquisitions and turnarounds around the world and worked in just about every part of the globe. I know something about uh, culture. I know something about innovation, and I know something about rich. And you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an old, you know, southern boy, broke, barefoot, you name it, <laughs> to start. So uh, everything that I've got, we work for, and they can only do it in the United States. So I encourage us to look at these processes, and and like I said, as long as we can make sure that we're doing it for the right reasons, right? And 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 I want to just talk about that for a little bit. Every client to our consulting uh, and and organization, every client we work with, and every company I've been in in charge, CEO and owner. There's three components that I start off with first, and that starts with the vision. And that's where I'm talking about. We do not have, uh, from from the U.S., from the House, or from uh, Capitol Hill, we do not have a clear vision. Now, I do a program called Travel Clock High. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great, great program. And... And I'm always inspired, and, and, and especially with John Kennedy when he had that vision, and uh, when he said we're going to put a man on the moon within this decade and return him safely to Earth. Well, that created an entire industry in itself. But the reason I like to quote that, the reason I use it in all my teachings, and my training, my coaching, and consulting practice is to just reinforce that was a clear vision. You need to be able to communicate a clear vision. Then you've got to have some very clear understand what you're there to do. What's the 112th Congress's mission in the 112th Congress? What are the vital things that this 112th Congress needs to accomplish? What are the vital things that uh, our president said that he wanted to accomplish when he come into office? Every leader, what's the vital thing? What's your vision? What's your mission? Then the next thing is the culture and the value base. And that's the one that's missing. Trust. 
trust. Uh, from our regular listeners, you've heard me talk about my friend uh, Stephen M. R. Covey and his book, uh, uh, Speed of Trust, uh, where we're connecting uh, trust or lack of trust uh, to actually to shareholder value. So it's it's about trust, and as long as we have human, you know, our DNA, uh, where there's not a perfect individual on this globe, but one thing that we can start now is to make sure that we have a value base that everybody is, is, is aligned to. So, as we come through the timeline of how the AT&T got started, we, we move on into, uh, I'm going to jump ahead here, uh, 1948. AT&T begins offering network service for television facilities connecting major cities in the uh, northeast and mid uh, Midwest. 1951, it introduces customer dialing, a long-distance call. 1956, opens the first uh, TAP-1 uh, lines. Uh, and that was like uh, 36 calls on the line. That was like $12 for the th- first three minutes. And and since the transatlantic service uh, opened in 27, that's when they opened transatlantic service, calls that traveled across the ocean via radio waves, but cables provided much higher quality. So they put cables under and, and started that. 1962, AT&T opens the Network Control Center in New York, its first facility designed to monitor entire long-distance network. 1964 uh, opens the TPC-1, uh, the first submarine telephone cable across the Pacific. 1970, introduces customer dialing international. 75 to 76, computerized network uh, begins at AT&T. I'm going to move ahead here. 1983 installs the first fiber optics. Okay. 87 replaces the 10-year-old uh, network operations center uh, for a new center located in uh, Bedminster, New Jersey. 88 lays opens uh, TAD eight lines fiber optics. 40,000 calls equivalent to 40,000 calls, tens times out of the last copper cable. So, reason I'm laying this out, it's innovation. It's infrastructure development, and we need to do this. If this stuff is expensive to do, then we have uh, Verizon, uh, which was uh, actually come into place as, as a result of a merger between the GTE and uh, Bell Atlantic and, and formed Verizon in 2000. Uh, then you got Sprint, and which was part of the next style, and you got Comcast, and 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 you have all these. But there's room. I want to say that to all the players in that sector, we got to make sure that we make room for the small business to be able to play in this sector. And as innovators, technology is moving at the speed of sound. Okay, speed of sound. And we have bright people. For example, it's go, you know going back to uh, Bell and Watson. What were they? Twenty nine, twenty two, twenty nine. So it's don't view, and 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 I reach out to all the leadership and all these major organizations is to make sure that we do we have a real uh, vendor system that allows opportunities uh, once again for small business. And if we can bring these two together, why not? <laughs> okay, why not? 
especially if it takes uh, two years uh, to um, get a permit for a single tower. So hang with us. We gotta we gotta take a short break. We'll be back in 45 seconds. So just bear with us. This segment is brought to you by 12 O'Clock High Leadership and Management Summit. 12 O'Clock High is one of the undisputed best movie classics of all time. It is also one of the best business learning tools available. The movie rated number one by top executives for its influence on their management style. Now, the inspiration of the 12 O'Clock High Leadership and Management Summit. An innovative one-day event and 30-day follow-up where you will quickly see what's working and not working on the front lines of your company and in your own leadership style. Learn more at 12high.com. That's 12high.com. Okay, we're back. Uh, we got uh, another segment left. I'm going to transition just for a moment. And we encourage any feedback. Uh, you agree with me, you disagree with me, we welcome it all. So, uh, like I said, our our objective is to to at least spy, inspire you to maybe get off the couch and get involved. Uh, and to have a call to action to all public and, and private union and non-union uh, Folks, do not forget our innovation. Do not forget our need to be productive. And as I was looking at the um, the numbers of the debt and the unemployed, um, as I said at the top of the show, I was hopping mad. I am. Uh, it just... It, it, it sets me free. This sets me free. And as industry, I mean, we we are hurting, folks. And Congress, you know, Congress, you know, I <laughs> can you can tell. <sighs> Congress is not there. As I understand it, and, and and jobs are not created by Congress. Well, I bet you I'm gonna get a lot of feedback on that. But Congress should uh, be the focal uh, and 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 focus on. I'll use the word fostering a business environment that allows for job creation, right? By attacking. I mean, attack it. Uh, the barriers to growth, uh, the high taxes, the overregulation, and uh, the approval processes, uh, both at the federal, state, local, city, municipalities—you know, all every every area—to determine how we can uh, simplify. Uh, you've heard me speak in past shows. California wants the eighth largest economy in the world, now ranked as the 50th worst state to do business with in the U.S. It's nothing to be proud about, proud of, excuse me, now. So as we look at 
in my mind what Congress and, and where I'm going with that, we continually get these short-term approvals. Ladies and gentlemen of both houses, President Obama and administration, please know that business cannot make a commitment to hire people and put people to work if we do not have sound leadership, a very focused vision, and funding mechanism in place, such as a long-term highway bill. Remember, just a few weeks back, the FAA was shut out, which cost us cost us billions of dollars. And right now, the new fiscal year—I mean, the fiscal year for the government—is ending, and, and 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 we just got a what a seven-day what was that silly stuff? Seven-day approval on the next budget to keep going in. So we can't do that. We can't do that. And as I was. Uh, Revisiting uh, President Obama's uh, message to Congress and the American people uh, in his cover letter that he presented, 2012 budget. And I want to quote, it's kind of like Anderson Cooper says, kind of keeping them honest here a little bit. I love, love that show. I'm going to quote, and go, go look at it. Print it off. Look at it. So president says, so even as we pursue cuts and savings in, in the months ahead, we must fund those investments that will help America win the race for jobs and industries of the future. Investments in education, innovation, and infrastructure. Mr. President, I know the challenges. Uh, I had an opportunity in the early part of my career to work in Washington. I've been inside the Beltway. Uh, I've walked those halls, uh, the different departments. I understand. But that's the reason we've got to remember. Remember the authors of the Constitution and the intent, as we discussed earlier in the show. And the understanding that our our job, elected officials, business leaders, is to create, create, create jobs, allow individuals to develop a quality of life that he or she chooses. If we do not address all segments of the population. We don't do something about immigration. We don't do something about the health care. Everybody needs health care. It's another thing that's killing small business. If we do not address those things, and it's wonderful to have a debate, but right now the debate's got a little absurd in both sides of the aisle. And in both houses. Now, as I was looking at um, a report from the Joint Economic Committee uh, on income and poverty across the states in 2010, 
It made me sad. And as I looked at uh, our returning uh, veterans from Afghanistan and Iraq, and as I look at the number of suicides within our armed forces, and as we look at the effects that these long deployments have on their families. And a lot of these families are, in fact, pretty much bordering on poverty level. Shame on us. Shame on us. And when we have 24 million people unemployed, shame on us. And we had uh, 13.8 million Americans. 65 and older, that if it hadn't been for Social Security, they would fall into the poverty level. Shame on us. I will also agree that Medicare and Social Security and those other systems, they need to be tweaked in a big way. There's many ways to approach it. But one thing for sure, and this is thanks, thank goodness to uh, Science and innovation and healthcare, we are living longer. I said uh, earlier, you know, I turned 63 today and I feel like I'm just getting started and I'm thankful for that. A disturbing fact as it relates to the poverty. Poverty increased in 2010 in 46 states and the District of Columbia since 2007. It increased. The number of people living below the poverty threshold in all states and the District of Columbia, except Montana, which didn't have any significant change in Montana. The South region regions was the largest increase of people in poverty, with 3.3 million people more than living below the poverty threshold of 2007 to 2010. 2.7 million additional people were living in poverty in, in the West, 1.6 more than in the Midwest, 912 in the Northeast. Now, this is the one that really, really got me. The largest increase was in the District of Columbia, and I've, I've hit on that but three different times, bear with me. The percent of children living below the poverty threshold increased 7.7% to 30.4%. So, education, health care, poverty, unemployment, and if some of these uh, mergers and uh, making capital available to small business, because once again, small business uh, employees, employers at 97% comes from small business. That's what creates jobs, the small business, okay? They pay, small business pays over 44% of the U.S. private payroll, okay? And have generated 64% of the new net jobs over the past 15 years. Small business. Now, 
definition of small business. It varies by industry, but pretty much 500 employees or fewer, and it ranges from uh, from retail, six million, to general and heavy construction, 27 million in revenue, and forestry and fish and stuff. So you can go to SBA and look at that definition. But what I wanted to point out, it is a small business, and without availability of credit, better policies, better regulation, allows to go to a without sacrificing the quality or the environment. We can do this if we want to. We can do this. Now, as we continue to keep our eye on uh the debt. I mean this 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 debt thing is a, is is a is a huge deal. Um I'm just going to check one thing. I I have this uh uh, this thing up on the uh, screen all the time, and I'm looking at it here. Uh, I just want to point out a went uh, to sleep. But once again, um, go go take a look at that, and we're looking at the um, uh, fourteen trillion dollars. Okay, fourteen trillion. Okay, what do you think? I think. We have a lot of opportunity. I think uh, we have a responsibility, uh, as we stated earlier, with our, with our children, our grandkids, to leave this country. Uh, don't strip it. People of my generation. And also a call to our uh, elected officials. Just make sure that you are running for public office for the right reasons and not for your ego. Make sure for the major mega mergers. Yep, business leaders, CEOs, they're uh, they are charged by the board of directors and the shareholders. Uh, tell the board what to do. Uh, their charge is to give a return on the investment to the shareholders. If you take a risk, you deserve to be deserve return. But I want to make sure that everyone can. Get involved in the process, especially in the upcoming election season, and just make sure that we are constantly communicating with our uh, representatives, like I said, they do work for us. And it's this keep the pressure on, respectfully, and it's, it's, it's make sure that we get things done. So this is uh, all for today. Uh, like I said, uh, we are planning on uh, three shows a week, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and then on Saturday. So we'll be back at uh, on the air at, uh, Saturday at 10 a.m. And uh, we're going to continue to look at the budget. we got some exciting, uh, exciting uh, guests uh, on the horizon. One thing about doing these shows more frequently, 
uh, is uh, bringing you good content and uh, exciting guests. So we got some exciting stuff ahead for you. So I'm looking at the switchboard, uh, seeing no questions. This is Jim White saying thank you for spending the last uh, 57 minutes with us. And like I said, we'll be back on Saturday at 10 a.m. Until then, to make it a great evening and uh, be safe. And uh, and for the people in uh, Carmel Valley, uh, it's make sure that uh, we just uh, get out and uh, where your support are tonight. So I think the hearings on October the 26th is the planning commission. Let's get this thing done. Okay. Until Saturday. Good night. You've been listening to Jim White's Circle of Success Radio. Please visit our website, jlwhiteinternational.com. Join us next time as Jim White brings it all together on Jim White's Circle of Success Radio.